And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. Now you can say, this is how Jews meet all the time. <laughs> when, when people aren't paying attention, we sneak into churches and just chat. That's, that theme song, by the way, was actually the original John D. Rockefeller theme music. So yeah, you got to be a rich the, the oligarchs walk. To have your own theme oh, music. Yes. So, John, I have to ask you, where have yep. you been, man? Me? There's, yes, there's a lot going just, on I'm, out here. I've been in line. I was out in line, <laughs> out front. <laughs> was, uh, do, you, uh, do you wake up ever and say to yourself that this was some kind of big celestial joke on you that you announce your retirement from The Daily Show? And uh, I, I see when you did, you said it didn't appear that there was going to be anything wildly different about this election year. You had done four others. Uh, how's that working for you now? Well, I mean, I think we, we talk about it as though it's something incredibly different, but in truth, how, how different is it, really? I mean, uh, the media is, as usual, focused on the wrong things and abdicating responsibility for the general uh, filtration of toxicity. Uh, you have enormous amounts of money flowing into crazy people who uh, are, are channeling uh, populists of years past. So I don't, you know... If you took Sarah Palin's head and jammed it onto Donald Trump's body, would it make any more sense? Probably not. Look a little weird, though, I think. I don't know that it would look any weirder. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, on that point, you, you once said, I assume there are bad actors in society. It's inherent in politicians to be disingenuous. I assume monkeys are going to throw shit. I get angrier at people who don't go, bad monkey. Uh, or uh, Wait, I said create that? a distraction that allows it to be continued unabated. Yeah. How, how responsible is the media for Donald Trump? Oh, I don't, listen, uh, I don't necessarily believe that uh, a full-court press on his uh, untruthiness would necessarily change it. I mean, he's not, he was voted for. But I do think he is generally uh, the conclusion to years of, he makes sense if you view it through the prism of talk radio. Uh, I like to drive. And so I listen to talk radio, and it is 24-7 of your country is being taken away from you. As far as I can tell, the conservative side or on the right side, they feel an ownership over America. They are the stewards of America. They are its forebearers. Exactly. Republicans, conservatives, love America. They just hate like 50% of the people living in it. So, in general... Isn't part of their concern that that 50% is becoming, or whatever percent, is becoming a greater... We're becoming a much more diverse country. Sure. So, yeah, no, nativism. Look, 
this is, it's not as though this is inherent only to this country as well. Globalization has created this strange pushback throughout the entire world. You see a lot of countries retreating into nativism, mm-hmm. uh, into that type of really... In fact, there are uh, Trump-like characters all over Europe in different countries. Yes, right yes. He is, it's very similar to, I don't know if you ever saw Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's very similar. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, in some ways, it's, it's a natural reaction to fear. Now, if you have that fear stoked on a daily basis at an incredibly high pitch, and this is not, we really need to do something about this country. Uh, we're facing some difficult problems. This is, you are run by a tyrant. He is going to take away your rights uh, we are falling. There are rapists and murderers at the border coming to kill you. If that's what you've been fed and that's what you're buying into, Donald Trump makes more sense than anybody else out there because he's going, great, let's build a, uh, the, the, the Visigoths are out the gate. Let's build a fucking wall and not let it. It makes total sense. What wouldn't make sense are the general Republican leadership going, there are Visigoths at the wall, they are here to kill you. Let's try and not pass a new budget resolution. You know, that's, their rhetoric has never matched their action. Donald Trump is saying, oh, that's your rhetoric? Then yeah, let's let's build a wall. There's a weird paradox in both his message and their attacks, which is, on the one hand, they say, well, the dictator is... uh, is, uh, is encroaching and threatening. Uh, on the other hand, their critique of the president is that he's feckless. And it's hard to be a feckless dictator. Are you suggesting, Groucho Marx and Duck Soup, Are you, you know? suggesting, sir, <laughs> that there may be slight cognitive dissonance? Well, <laughs> is that what you're suggesting? Because well, I will not sit here some, and be told, look, I don't even know that Donald Trump is eligible to be president. And, and that's not a birther thing. That's I don't know. Look, I'm not a constitutional scholar, so I can't necessarily say, but can you, are you eligible to run if you are a man baby or a, uh, <laughs> uh, a, a baby man? A, see, I don't know what the, look, I don't know. And again, I'm not here to be politically incorrect. I, 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 if they're referred to as man baby Americans, uh, but he is, he is a man baby. He uh, has the physical countenance of a man uh, and a baby's uh, temperament and hands. So, <laughs> so to have that together, I mean, for God's sakes, I, I should speak. So I do have a history with a man. And so in, in, in an effort of full disclosure, uh, we made fun of him. <laughs> and... Uh, I think we refer to him as, you know, a boiled ham and a wig or something. Who knows? Uh, and so he tweeted at me because, as you know, great leaders tweet. Tweet. Yes. Late at night. In yes. fact, I remember uh, Lincoln's Gettysburg tweet storm <laughs> uh, after he delivered. Uh, That's why the address was so short. He had to do it in 140. Yes. Yeah. Well, he, after the Gettysburg address, he, he tweeted out, emancipate this motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> So Donald Trump uh, tweeted John Lebowitz. He, he thought uh, he's going to use my birth name. Was your name? Lebowitz, yes. yes. John Stuart Lebowitz is my, Jonathan Stuart Lebowitz, my full name. He was going to tweet that, and then he tweeted out, 
uh, be proud of your heritage, don't run away from who you are, by the way, he's overrated, or something, or something along those lines. Incisive. It's very incisive. Yeah. And, uh, and so we thought, well, geez, uh, let's, let's answer. <laughs> so uh, we tweeted back to him, uh, Donald Trump's real name, uh, which I don't know if you even know this, is Fuckface Von Clownstick. <laughs> And the research you guys must do on that show is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. We have people, <laughs> LexisNexis, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and so we wanted to know why he was running away from the Von Clownstick uh, heritage. And we got into this, this huge fight. And this. Did he sue you? He, te- he tends to sue for people for things like that. Yeah, I mean, I- I'm just, I don't know that a man baby can be president. He's, he's character is destiny. And he is the most thin-skinned individual. And look, you've been around politicians. You know they're thin-skinned. You know yes. President Obama, for all his qualities that you love, gets angry. And certainly I've, I've borne, Irritated, the, br- I've borne the brunt of that at times. Yes, um, I've heard. Yes. And, uh, but I don't know that he has, and they keep saying, which I think is the most wonderful thing, don't worry, when he becomes president, he's going to be totally mature. And, uh, well, he says, he said, being presidential is easy, and he'll do it at right. the appropriate but time. But what does that say about your constituency if what you're saying to them is, look, the only way that I can win this part of the race is by being an unrepentant, narcissistic asshole, because that's what my, my voters like. But once I have to appeal to everybody, I'll be cool. Yeah. But the fact is that you look at all these exit polls from primary after primary, and the big number that he commands is he tells it like it is. He says stuff other politicians aren't willing to mm-hmm. say. And, uh, and you, you, know, you spoke earlier about people who, uh, who are frightened you know, because of these changes in the economy that have left them without the kind of uh, future that they thought they would have, and they're eating that up. Right, but that, again... And, and this gets to the point of... Authenticity is what they say. This gets to the point, though, of the press versus the campaign. And what we see in the press is they're covering the campaign, but they're not covering veracity or, you know, so the exit polls say this is what people think, then someone in the press has to come out and go, wow, people must be assholes because that's not okay to think. You know, it's not... It's not okay to have nostalgia for the madmen society and think that that, is, that that ignorance is virtue. And they have twisted this around so that his ignorant pronouncements are somehow uh, a sign of great character. It's like where I grew up when people go like, hey, look, no disrespect. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying your mother's a whore. I'm saying, and you're like, I think that's what you're saying. The difference is he would and, just say your mother's a whore. Right. But when he says, you know, people are so nervous. See, here, here's what's so amazing about this. So the whole idea of political correctness is everybody's so sensitive. Just get over it. You know, why should uh, African-Americans be so sensitive about police shootings? Why, why do they have to be so sensitive about uh, uh, years of systemic racism creating economic disparity? Come on. I'm not a slave owner. Donald Trump couldn't handle us making a joke about him. 
Vanity Fair, Graydon Carter did a joke about Donald Trump's hands 25 years ago. He's still not fucking over it. And his hands so, aren't any bigger. So Muslims, not true, by the way. <laughs> he actually did Finger a deal. Finger extensions. Trump International. And if you see them now, they say Trump and go left <laughs> built. Um, but the, the idea being that Muslims, hey man, he does, all he's saying is they're evil and shouldn't be allowed in this country. He's just telling it like it is. But God forbid you say happy holidays in December. It's fucking war. So who is it who's exactly sensitive here? We're only talking about what are the trigger points. And the trigger points to me seem to be uh, on one side grounded in a certain reality of life that only those with no experience or empathy towards what those individuals are going through are having. And the other seems to be a clinging to a societal paradigm that just doesn't exist anymore and probably never did. When was America great? When, what, what is this time that he speaks of? 81 to 82? Like, what, what are we talking about? <clears throat> and who took your country away from you? Yeah. Whose country, whose is it? Yeah. Don't well, take up, those, take up those... the argument with the founders. Take it up with the age of reason. That's the, you know, all men are created equal. That's fucked the whole thing up. Yeah. The, uh, another thing that they, I think the, the, the people who are rallying to him would say, I mean, some of it is just, I think, grounded in, in, in pure racism and nativism and all of that. But there also is a, the fact that the economy, you mentioned globalism, technology, mm -hmm. has made a lot of jobs obsolete that right. you didn't need a college education. These, these kids are going to do great. No, I don't, I don't know about well, that. Well, there are three or four who aren't going to do great and you know who you are. Uh, they might do great or they might not. But, <laughs> but I mean, my point is this. They're, they're, uh, we haven't paid enough attention as a country to how we shepherd this change and make opportunity more broadly available. I think education is a piece of it. He's not speaking to that, but that's really the debate we should be having in this country is what are we going to do with this big revolutionary change uh, that has left a lot of people behind? Right, but you have a situation in government that makes that very difficult, if government is. The, the fallacy of this whole thing, and maybe it's a leftover from the Marshall Plan and everything else and, and the, 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 the nostalgia for the World War II era, is that America can actually control things in a matter that is tidy. This idea somehow that we can control, we live in a post-colonial world. We no longer have a Western frontier. Like, that's just reality. And globalization is not a question of American policy cannot, that box has been opened. And the problem with globalization is not that America hasn't handled it, is that corporate America would prefer money travels people don't so if they can send money to places where they can hire a hundred people that'll work 12 hours a day for two dollars versus 10 people that only work eight hours a day for 15 dollars an hour what are they going to do so this has nothing the to argument do with, trump's been making here but here's the real political incorrectness if they really want to be truthful the problems in this country are not because of mexicans and muslims and if they want to if they want to in any way confront what's really going on, the problems in this country is you have one party in America whose sole purpose is to freeze the government and to not fix any of the problems that are associated with it. They have a great game going, which is government sucks and can't get the job done. And then they can sit as an impediment to that government 
and point to their destruction as evidence of their thesis. It's a great tautology. And it's, for whatever you want to say about the Democrats, maybe they're feckless, maybe they're, uh, uh, they, they focus too much on identity politics, or uh, uh, they're not fiscally responsible. At least they're fucking trying. Yeah, well, I'm not going to debate you on that. Um, you know what? You're not the same without the mustache. <laughs> I know, but thank God you took up the facial hair so we can still carry the torch out there. I appreciate well, uh, talk, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Hillary Clinton, but Ooh. before we do, before we do um, you're obviously, uh, you haven't lost your edge, you haven't lost your passion. Have you been restless watching this whole thing, uh, not having the platform that you had? Obviously, you can create a new one, and, and I want to ask you about whether you're about to create a new one. No, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not restless because uh, what I gained from leaving the show in perspective of when you are in that soup, it is very hard not to begin to think that the world functions on that currency. There's only two cities that I know of that are that arrogant, and that's D.C. and Los Angeles, where they truly believe. You know, and we saw it again with Larry Wilmore. At the White House. At the White House Correspondence Center. I want to ask Center. you about your reaction. Larry Wilmore did the White House Correspondence Center, and everybody went nuts. My God, he's done. With what? He's finished. He's not running for anything. He's not finished. He'll never get asked back. I don't think he gives a shit. Right. <laughs> you know... And when you watch the post-show analysis, it was all based on whether or not he had helped himself, how some of the room had read it, and not in any way... A little narcissistic there. But not only narcissistic, but in no way an examination of the foundation of what he was saying, Mm -hmm. which is you are an incredibly corrupt and blinded symbiotic terrarium. Yeah, I don't understand why that message wasn't well-received. Here's the thing. Not well-received, not received. Yes. Not noticed. That's a, that's, yes. They did not notice yeah. it. What they noticed was, well, he didn't get that many laughs. He really bombed. Yeah. Well, that's the weird thing about the White House Correspondents' Dinner because yeah. there is this sort of strange symbiosis between Hollywood and Washington, and they're similar communities. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the actors come to Washington and love to mix with the politicians. The politicians love to mix with the actors. And there, you know, there is a, a narcissism about those two communities that is, uh, that is very much uh, the same. You did the dinner once, right, in 97? Yep. Mm-hmm. I did it right after Imus. And Imus famously, you know, made a joke, I guess, about Clinton's proclivities. And, uh, and again, they said... For diplomacy? Yes, for, for, uh, for reading, mostly. <laughs> um, I have to watch, you know, obviously we're in a church. There's only so far I can go. Um, or actually, you know what? I'm out of his jurisdiction, so I can pretty much say whatever I want. Um, he'd be ready to strike me down with lightning and be like, eh, it's not his house anyway. Um, I think that the problem is the system is incentivized in all the wrong directions. And right now... The system is incentivized in the way that a crack dealer is incentivized, which is it can do tremendous damage, but as long as people are buying crack, everything's good on his block. And, and I, really, I truly believe it's that 
corrosive and corrupt. When you have the presidents of networks saying Trump is good for business, when you have the lead anchor of Fox News having to go to Trump's hotel to make him stop being mean to her, and now he says she's terrific because they've had a detente, that's fucked. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how you describe You know, there are heads of networks who have said Donald Trump is great for business. Well, why would you kill the thing that's great for business? Well, I asked why you at the beginning. Even, and you, why would you even say what it was? I asked you at the beginning, and you were sort of dismissive about what the role of the media has been. But what you're suggesting is that there is, an, uh, they have a pecuniary interest in the, the Trump story. Correct. Well, I, I think what I was responding to about the role of the media is can they solve it on their own? Mm hmm. But, look, television journalism was ahead of the game at the Nixon-Kennedy debate. You know, that, that, that's when the television mediums... That was a while came, ago. ...came into... Right, I was there, you were there. Yeah, um, we were pages. ...came into effect. Basically, Kennedy understood it a, a little bit rudimentary. He thought, I should probably wear makeup. And Nixon was like, I look great. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> he went out there and, you know... Everybody thought he had hepatitis, and that was the end of his game. <laughs> Since then, an entire industry has risen up as to how to manipulate and skew that medium to the advantage of the politicians and the powerful. And the industry, rather than in some ways creating a counterweight to that, have been subsumed by it. And so now it's a symbiosis. The media is no longer predator and prey, which I think is, should be the relationship, but a remora that's just attached underneath, hoping for crumbs that fall off of the shark. Though they do, I mean, I watched uh, uh, Trump with George Stephanopoulos yesterday, mm -hmm. who tried to probe, I don't know if you saw the show, but he was uh, probing him on his various proposals, and Trump said... He said, you know, your tax plan would be a windfall for the wealthy. And Trump said, well, it is now, but once we negotiate, it won't be anymore. Mm -hmm. And just basically shedding all of, of right. his uh, position. So but he's being challenged. He's just... He's no, just but it's, it's, you're talking about singular anecdotal moments. You're talking about floating logs in a torrent. You know, the relentlessness of the cycle requires an equal counterweight. It can't, it, a counterweight does not mean that occasionally, you know, you, you push back to a small extent as the waters rush by you everywhere else. That's, I think, where Fox has an advantage is that they understood that to take over the cycle, you need to be relentless. You need to be perpetuating uh, your point of view and your propaganda in the same way that people consume it which is constantly and self-reinforcingly and over and over and over again. Which and seems unless to be, you have something which is, pushing back with that same force, you're not going to have any balance. Well, the interesting thing about this election, though, you say it's not much different. Trump has basically embraced that tactic. I mean, he is relentless. He is ubiquitous. He is out there all the time. He's, he's just learned how to, he's just doing judo against them. What, what works for 24-hour network? What, what is it incentivized for? It is incentivized for, here's what you would want it to be incentivized for, clarity. It is incentivized for what? Conflict. The voices that are amplified are the ones that are the most 
conflict-oriented, the most extreme. Those are the guys that get the airtime. So if they're incentivized for conflict, Trump is not playing this like everybody keeps talking about. He's amazing. He's not, this is the first season of Survivor. <laughs> this, is, it's, it's, this is reality show 101. Right. Right. I'm going to be an enormous dick at the beginning of the show to get all this attention. And then once I make it to final counsel, then I'm going to reveal. He's, uh, what's the guy's name? Johnny Fairplay. He's Johnny Fairplay. He's the guy who said, oh, my grandmother died. And don't vote me out. And then finally, when he got to the, the, the final tribal council, that's, that would, that's what he's playing. What, uh, uh, talk to me about Hillary Clinton as an opponent to him. And, and, and I've what, never what run you, against her. So I don't. What, you, uh, what, what, what would you be saying about her if you were doing your show right What now? I think about Hillary Clinton is, uh, you know, I imagine to be a very bright woman without the courage of her convictions, because I'm not even sure what they are. So I would suggest that when I watch her campaign, when I watch her campaign, it reminds me of, and again, I'm throwing out references that mean absolutely nothing to anybody. So I, I will continue to do that. Uh, she reminds me of Magic Johnson's talk show. And I won't say anything. Again, you have that thought too, huh? If you ever watch Magic Johnson's talk, Magic Johnson was a charming individual, but he wasn't a talk show host. And when you watched his show, you could almost see Arsenio's advice to him in real-time rendering. So he would sit and he would go, uh, my first guest tonight, oh, Arsenio said enthusiasm is something that sell is, uh, my first guest tonight is, share everybody! But it never seemed authentic and real to his personality. It seemed like he was wearing uh, an outfit designed uh, by someone else for someone else to be someone else. And that is not to say that she is not preferable to Donald Trump, because at this point, I would vote for Mr. T over Donald Trump. <laughs> but, but she will, I think she will be in, in big trouble if she can't find a way and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a real person doesn't exist underneath there. I don't know. You, did you, you worked, you, you dabbled on the government side when you were advocating for the Zadroga Act for 9-11 uh, survivors. Did you work with her when she was Senator of New York on that? No. So you never I worked any... with uh, Kristen Gillibrand. Mm-hmm. I see. So who's, who's, she was out of the Senate by then. She's terrific. Kristen Gillibrand is, is terrific. So Hillary was out of the Senate by then. Yeah, you, you must have had her on your show. Yes. And what was that like? Really cool. <laughs> it's, uh, look, huh. there are politicians who are either rendering their inauthenticity in real enough time to appear authentic, and then there are politicians who render their inauthenticity through, it's like when your computer, you want to play, if you have a Mac and you want to play a Microsoft game yes. on it, yes. and there's that weird lag. Yes. That's, no, I mean, that's, I, I think that's a big problem. There's like a seven-second delay, and all the words come out in a perfectly politically right. calibrated sentence. Right. Now, what gives me hope in that is that there's a delay, which means she's somehow fighting something. I've seen politicians who don't have that delay and render their inauthenticity in real time, and that's when you go, that's a sociopath. The, uh, that's an uplifting message there. The, um, By the way, it, as far as uplifting messages, 
I have never in my life experienced what I experienced in my one day of lobbying down in Washington, D.C. And let me just say, like, for however I painted it on the show, it's so much worse than you could possibly imagine. (laughs) It is a cesspool. There are some good people trying to survive within the lava, but it's, it's a fucking horror show. No, no disrespect. No. There is Just the fact that you're at the Institute of Politics where we're trying to encourage young people to get into the Can public. Can I say this? Uh, or, you know. get, in, get into it and don't, be, don't get it on you. I've never... I was down there with firefighters who had spent a year on the smoldering remains of the World Trade Center. The guy that I was with, Ray Pfeiffer, had a titanium rod in his leg that was breaking because of the metastasized cancer that was roiling through it, that he got from being on the pile. We had the scientific evidence with us. You cannot imagine the disrespect, the lack of compassion that was exhibited towards this man and this cause by individuals in higher office. It was, I will never recover from it. So here's my, here's my theory, because I can't sit in front of a, a thousand young people and not say this. You know, it, it, uh, you have to, if you turn away and you walk away from this and you just seed, seed all of that to the people you're talking about, you're going to get what you get. And it seems to me that there's some obligation to go in there and try and change it. So you say, go in there and don't get it on you. Yes. But uh, we need that. We need no, that. But, this but is the most When I say don't get it on you, of- I don't mean don't engage. I mean take appropriate precautions. Wear a hazmat suit. Wear, <laughs> bring your ideals. I have, whenever I speak to, and we used to do this thing every year where we'd bring the press secretaries for all the Senate and all the House people that wanted to come in. And they would say to me, so what can my candidate do to have a successful appearance on your show? (laughs) And I would say he could or she could say what she thinks about the issues concerning America. And they said, is there any other uh, way to do it? But they, they would say, but what would you, what should I tell them? What works best when people say what they believe. What's that? (laughs) And and honestly, like, I know you think that I'm being hyperbolic. I recognize that you don't understand this. I am not. They are as unaware of their own machinations as you could possibly imagine. It's, and I'm not even saying it's malevolence. It's the way the game is played. It's, I assume that it's survival. But you must have met people over the course of uh, from 99 to last year doing this show, mm-hmm. uh, you must have run across people who, who, did, who were disarming. And sure, no, I, I, I must have. <laughs> Do you want a few seconds to think about that? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> um, there are people that were... What I would get there is the same thing I would get in the news industry, which is people would pull you aside and they would say, yeah, man sucks. It's so, you're, it's, you're absolutely right. It's terrible down here. 
you would just go, hmm. Yeah. But, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to sit here as the, the sort of defender of a, of a system that is badly broken. Right. But there are people who, who do make a difference. Every there. day. You, messed, you mentioned uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. There are others who sure. actually go there and try. Amount, I always, you know, the amount of energy that you have to expend. I'll just go along with the, the 9-11 bill. This is as no-brainer as you can possibly get. This is a horde of zombies would stop their brain-eating rampage to go, yeah, those guys should get some health care. That makes sense. So run out and find a horde of zombies? So these guys, for nine years, had to travel with cancer, with mesothelioma, with uh, low lung function, with heart failure. Nine years of incessant lobbying to move this body, and it only through their lobbying efforts and some measure of public shaming, they relented in the most condescending of ways to finally give into it. If it takes that effort to do something that easy, it, it is a system that must be uh, it is self-perpetuating in a way that is that is dangerous. Yeah. At this point, you know. I but I saw you know I saw and you were there uh, doing your thing. Uh, I saw people cast votes for the Affordable Care Act who mm-hmm. lost their who lost their positions. People who voted for uh, cap and trade to try and do something about climate change who sure. lost their positions. And right. and we should and there are some who didn't. But we should at least acknowledge that those, there are those people who are willing to do that. I always say Profiles and Courage was a thin volume for a reason. Okay? Right. It's not the norm, but it's something that we should... Uh, I guess my point is, is why in, in God's name should that be courage? In what world is taking a political stand and trying to affect legislation that should be... And by the way, what's incumbent on those who believe government can make a difference in people's lives is to try and make it more efficient. And I think that's where the Democrats fail in an enormous way, is that in their world, if, if you believe that government can make a difference in people's lives, well, then make the bureaucracy work more efficiently, make the regulations that are strangling you know, uh, uh, small businesses... Don't just open the Fed window at 0% to corporations. Force them at some level to at least give a percentage of that to small business loans. I mean, and I understand that, that they are trying, but, and, and you and your boss and I had a, 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 a big argument about this, but the VA. If you can do an executive order to kill an American citizen from above with a missile, how can you not do an executive order to reevaluate the DOD and the VA system so that you don't spend a billion dollars trying to get two computer programs to talk to each other when probably three of these idiots could do it for $500? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't wash. Yeah. And at some level, and I'll lay the blame then with the Democrats, the door is open to an asshole like Donald Trump because the Democrats haven't done enough to show to people that government that can be effective for people can be efficient for people. And if you can't do that, then you've lost the right 
to make that change, and someone's going to come in and demagogue you. Yeah. And that's what happens. I, I, I don't know, John, that, it's, that the people who are following Trump are following him because of efficiency. I think there are other oh. elements. There are elements. No I question. don't disagree with you. I've always said this, that we ought to be committed to uh, uh, ends and not means. And if the means don't work, then change them, you know. Uh, I think that's challenging government is, is something that Democrats should do. But on the other hand, let me ask you a question. on the other hand, is government me, too big to manage? Uh, it's a very, there's a, that's a very good question. And I think that what I think, hap- <laughs> what, what I, what I think, what I think happens is we've got a country of 330 million. So government's going to be uh, large. What I think happens is <laughs> bureaucracy builds on bureaucracy and it gets encrusted on top of itself. And we, right. especially in an age of uh, technology, there is an opportunity uh, to do things better and more creatively. And I think that, that government well, should do that. But let me say this. Let me right. just say a word on yeah. this because yeah. um, I, I think before we're too cynical about this. This is not cynicism. Don't mistake. No, but let me. Don't let mistake me, this for cynicism. Ju- if you talk to one of the 20 million people who have health care today didn't have health care, mm-hmm. they have a pretty positive view of government. Uh, you know, if you uh, talk to people who have a Pell Grant, or if you talk to people who are uh, finally, after all these centuries, enjoying their uh, full rights, gay and lesbian uh, uh, Americans, and certainly they, they feel positively at, uh, that that, ha- that government has been on their side, at least in mm-hmm. uh, recent years. So I think that um, it is... It is a little bit too broad brush to say there's nothing, no progress has been made. Uh, right. No, nobody has. No. I would definitely agree with you if that's what I had said. <laughs> but that's not what I said. Okay. What I said was, and I'll, to, to throw it back the other way, let me say this. Can you imagine how disconcerting it is for someone who's talking about the efficiency of government to talk to the man who basically helped Barack Obama get elected? And you're a powerful guy who has basically been part of the group that's been in charge of government for eight years to say, yeah, you know, bureaucracy is bureaucracy. What are you going to do? And you're like, I don't know. Here's the thing, John. Government, yeah. uh, the system we have, and you wrote the definitive book on the U.S. Constitution, <laughs> so uh, I know you know this. The government right. we have... Uh, it is hard to move. We moved a lot in the first two years when Obama sure. was president. 2010 came along, and uh, there was a huge uh, tidal wave. And then, and we've had a situation where you have uh, a gridlock—not a gridlock, but a very divided Congress. Sure. And the system is devised in such a way that it makes yes. it very difficult to get things done under that. Uh, under that, no uh, question. So that's. You know, uh, yes, I would, I, I would have liked if, if we had come to office and we didn't have a you know, massive uh, economic crisis and some of the other things. I would have liked to have concentrated on this project, which is how do you rationalize government for the 21st century? There are these projects going on within government, but it's very hard to turn it around. Right. So but all I'm saying is if people can see your reelection effort be incredibly agile, and, I mean, I honestly, I'm still getting emails from the re-elect Barack Obama, like, sometimes through, like, the television. Like, it, I don't know how you guys figured it out. But if you're, you're that... Lag, you're laggard in your donations. If you're, if, you're that, if you're that agile for campaigning, why are we so good at campaigns and so bad at governance? Because campaigns... 
because campaigns campaigns are not as complicated and not as challenging as government because you have full control over your campaigns. Let me tell you something. When we made a decision in, my camp, in our campaign, I didn't have to go and, and, and have Congress affirm it. Okay? Right. We could just move. And so, so, go, it, so government is not, the campaigns are not you government. You can't do in the way that you use executive action. You can't use that against the bureaucracy. No, you can, and it has been done. And there have been a lot. There's been in, 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 in a series of different ways. Are you happy with the amount orders. that you guys did in that regard? I am, I am, uh, I am convinced that uh, had there not been the resistance we had in Congress, we could have done more. Uh, I, there's no question about that. You know, am I happy about it? So we agree. It? Yes. We, we agree except for this one point, which is... Yeah. Um, By the way, this is how Jews make love. This is... This is... Just so you know, like, he and I, when we're done with this, thing, this is like eating latkes yeah, we're, on top of a dreidel with, like... We're missing... Where's the corned beef? Jews... At, 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 the only thing that's missing is an uncle who's to the right of Genghis Khan... But who could just walk in and go, Israel has a right to defend itself. So I'm just, just pointing it out for those of you who are getting nervous. This is how we communicate. We had a guy like that standing right here a few months ago. But um, uh, no, I, I have to say. I don't go to school here, so I don't know what that means. No, no. Uh, the. Yeah. The, 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 it is, it's too facile to compare campaigns to government. The reason but, why I don't think it's facile is this. So, and again, I think it's, it's a part of, it's very easy to say, well, it's two different systems. Well, we're at the point in our government where if you can take extraordinary measures to fix a crisis like the bank bailout, mm -hmm. then you can take extraordinary measures to fix a crisis like crumbling infrastructure and bureaucratic nightmares. Yeah. I, I, you know, John, you can't by executive order fix crumbling infrastructure. You need money to fix crumbling infrastructure. Right, but you can. You need a Congress fix, that's willing to work with you to you fix can crumbling fix infrastructure. Some of the problems in contracting. You can fix that. Yes, you can do that. That's and some my of that's point. been done. But, but the point is, you can't fix through contracting a massive underfunding of infrastructure, no, which understand. is a battle that's been going on for years. But listen, we just got a couple minutes left. Oh. I just want to ask, I know you hate... Sagittarius. You, you deflect... <laughs> no, this was the if you were a tree thing. Yeah. Um, you, you deflect questions about yourself. I have, t I have two, and one right. is, when you were growing up in Jersey, uh, you, you could not have imagined... Wait, wait, hold on a second. Thank you for that. That was... That was the appropriate amount of applause for New Jersey. When, you said when you were growing up in New Jersey, and literally, I just heard this. Like in the way you would if at the Masters, somebody sack a putt. Right, but you, you could not have imagined that you would be opining and, and you'd have the world hanging on your words on, uh, on politics, on the social scene. I mean, this wasn't... You, you couldn't, this was not your life goal. It's important because I think kids, some kids are thought to believe that, taught to believe that they need to have a life plan. You didn't have a life plan to become what you are now. Uh, I did. Well, you had a kind of circuitous was, route to get there. I was raised in a laboratory, comedic laboratory. Um, I mean, I think I, I understand your point about protecting their innocence and their enthusiasm. Please don't misunderstand 
Criti- criticism is out of love and desperation. No, I, I totally get that. And, and, uh, no, I, I, I totally I'm, get In that. fact, I'm not, I'm not pessimistic in any way because this country has proven resilient based on the fact that its foundation is the age of reason and the age of enlightenment. And that is going to be what carries us through you know, we face darker times no, we have. than these, Much darker. And, and they have. These, these guys are going to make a difference. I think one of the things that's changing in this country is that young people are more tolerant, they're more aware, they're more, uh, they feel more rooted in the world and not just in their own lives. I think that these guys are going to change things. But you're deflecting again because you oh, won't talk about yourself. All right. All right. So I'm going to give up. I'm not going to give. I'm going to give up the whole John Stewart story because we don't have time for it. But it'll be in a. You are missing out. It'll be a bookstore near you soon. But uh, I, sh- I have to ask you about moving forward because yes. there've been uh, uh, HBO suggested maybe you would be engaging I'm not, in this. I'm election. not going to be on television anymore. I, the, the 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 whole point of. How are you? Old. Are you going to engage at all in this in this next uh, six months? Are we going to see John Stewart? I feel like in more I'm engaged way? now. I mean, you know, the one thing I also want to make clear to people is, when you're not on television, you're still alive, and <laughs> you're still engaged in the world. And I feel maybe more engaged with the world in a real way now than I ever did sitting on television interviewing politicians and convincing them, you know, I... I'd, do you have any creative projects planned between now oh. and November that have to do with the election, whether it's on the Internet? Uh, I, I mean, you know, we're working on technology and animation to try and do sort of interesting uh, l- little small bits, and, and uh, if we can figure That'll out... That'll go viral. Uh, I, I don't... Again, like, do what you think is good, and if you get 50 likes, great. If you get 500 likes, like... Your life exists outside of television and likes and Instagram. Like, engage the world. The reason why I was talking about bureaucracy is so my, my wife, who's so much nicer than me, you'd love her. Um, she uh, is, is uh, we're starting this sanctuary for farm animals. So we had to go before a local Monmouth County Agriculture Board. The epitome of Real America, civic engagement, civic society. The work that these individuals, they were all farmers. The board is 10 farmers. The work that they put into preserving and, and keeping uh, the farm life and, and what they do, their way of life going, was inspiring. If you want to talk about inspiration, we can put it yeah. right on them. There are the, stories like the that questions all over the questions that they... That they uh, that they raised with us were thought-provoking. They helped shape this project in a way that improved it uh, massively. And they dealt with a tremendous amount of paperwork that made no sense to anybody. And they did it with humor and with a certain resignation, but they did it. This must have confounded your lobbyist. Yes, yes. Um, but, but the point is, between yeah. now and November, do you expect to surface some projects relative to the election? Oh, uh, it may. <laughs> I, 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 wish, I, I wish I had a better answer. I just don't, I don't know. You know, we're, we're working on it. I'd love to have it ready, you know, by September or something like that. But not necessarily for the election, as though that's the D-Day. Like, again. But it's, a, but it's an important time for the country. I, I mean. As I said, like, I'll still, I mean, I'll vote. <laughs> I, I don't. In other words, you know. Let me put it this way. The October surprise in this election is not 
a two-minute cartoon that I'm going to release. Like, the, 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 the powers that be are, are working very diligently. There's, the, the, television has never been more ripe with beautiful satire. There are people from John Oliver to Sam B to Stephen Colbert to uh, uh, Seth Meyers to Trevor to Larry to... Uh, I am so impressed and amazed at the level of uh, insight and wit that is displayed on television uh, every day. It just, uh, you know, uh, there, all, is, there all, is no dearth. Are all great. They're all great. But I, I will say, and we'll wrap it up here, uh, there's also uh, one John Stewart. And uh, if you move around, people are asking, why isn't he here commenting on this? But we're so lucky that you're here to... I, I, I'm delighted. You know, I've, I've always wanted to uh, be confirmed. And... Uh, <laughs> Yes. This counts, right? Yes. As soon as you put something in the collection. All right. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, part of the CNN Podcast Network. For more episodes of The Axe Files, visit cnn.com slash podcast and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. And for more programming from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.